You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. Um, we were uh, sitting at Amigos on Thursday and my nine-year-old daughter was telling us about some things that someone at... Uh, school had said to her. Now we've always had every intention of of raising our children in the public school. Uh, I think they go to a great school uh, with excellent teachers, uh, excellent administration, and but I also think I underestimated the influence that classmates would would have on my own children and believe it or not not every kid in the public school comes from a home that loves Jesus, it's shocking, I know. And now we typically don't like gossip in our house, but I do love some Eastside Elementary School gossip from my daughter. And so she was telling my wife and I some not nice things someone had told her at school. And I don't know if you know my daughter or not, but she can be um, a tad terrifying at times. And Uh, She has never nor will never back down from a fight, and so she was telling my wife and I all of the things that she said back to that classmate. We tried to tell her um, that's not her job. It's not her job to fight with classmates. She can't control what other people say. It's her job to be kind and loving. That is not the advice that she wanted to hear. But I told her, I told her, here's the thing, um, Eliza, here's the thing. If someone ever messes with your little brother, then you can punch him in the face. And he kind of sat there, her brother Judah just sat there and looked confused at me. He said, no, I don't need her to do that. Um, I'll fight them myself. Now, I've never been in a fight. Apparently, I'm raising a clan of, of little MMA fighters, and my youngest son was just 100% serious. He was ready to go to battle, and truth be told, life is just not as simple as we make it out to be. If someone asked you this morning, does it feel like life is just a relaxing vacation or a constant battle? I think most of us would say, man, it just feels like a battle whether it's from those that are against us, whether it's just the constant struggles of this life, it's a fight. And I'd say, honestly, it's a, it's a daily fight. I will not deny that. Life is not easy. And yet, I think we often confuse what battle we're actually in. I think we often confuse, and let me be cliche here, who the battle actually belongs to. This is a message for those that are fighting through this life, a message of hope and promise for a battle that has honestly already been won. Uh, Let me show you what I'm talking about. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 17, starting verse 41 today. If you have a digital Bible, I'll read out of the ESV. If you have a bulletin, all of the main narrative is in the text today. But before we uh, study, let's pray together. God, it, it, it's, there's no doubt that many of us, if not all of us, struggle in life. 
and, and what feels like it's just a season of battling that maybe never ends. Just one thing after the next. God, give us a proper understanding of your word today. That in the difficulties of life, that we might understand what 1 Samuel 17 actually speaks into today. That we could actually understand what battle we're really in. So God, give us grace and understanding in a passage that many of us are familiar with. God, and we'll give you all glory along the way. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. A battle is about to begin in the valley. It's the Israelites against the Philistines, the Philistine champion. He stands tall and begins to shout across the landscape. His deep voice echoes through the sky. This man, he mocks the living God. He's terrifying. Who will dare take a stand? It's the shepherd boy from Bethlehem. It's the holy God that will humble the enemy and show off his glory. King Saul and his men are gathered in the valley of Elah. In fact, there are several geographical spots that are mentioned in chapter 17, but Elah Valley is by far the most important. Goliath of Gath, he steps out from the camp. He is overwhelming. In fact, Goliath is the first character in the Bible to be constructed in the text by his champion name, literally meaning man of the between. His shouting, it's, a, it's just this reminder. He's not only large, but he's also the embodiment of the entire Philistine army. How tall is Goliath? Well, if one variant of the text is to be followed, he's over nine feet tall. If another variant of the text is to be followed, he's almost seven feet tall. Regardless, Goliath is a giant and proceeds to offer the Israelite army this ultimatum. And so if he wins, Israel will serve the Philistines. If Israel wins, the Philistines will serve them. And so Saul and all of Israel, they hear these words and they're afraid. Like Saul and company have already forgotten that the God of Israel is the one that actually wins battles. That God is not looking for the loudest or the proudest or the strongest. God is looking for those that are willing to humble themselves and be used by God. See, many battles during this time were viewed as a, a deity against deity. Therefore, Goliath was confident that the Philistine god Dagon would win in the battle, meaning like Goliath had more faith in his false god than Saul did in the God of Israel. And yet, as we've read, there is a priest in the land. Samuel is sent to the house of Jesse in 1 Samuel 16. Three of Jesse's strongest sons pass by Samuel, but they're not found to be among God's anointed. David is sent for. While he's tending the sheep in the field, he is a young and forgotten warrior among his own family. That God was seeking someone's heart, a heart that... He never had with King Saul, and so Samuel is anointed David as king in the midst of his brothers. O little town of Bethlehem, will arise a son that will stand against the great enemy. Eight sons given to the man named Jesse. Three of them are they're already serving in Saul's army, Elab, Abinadab, 
and Shammah. In the first Samuel 17, we see David, he's the youngest. He's going back and forth to the field to King Saul. David is sent on a mission uh, to the battlefield to bring food to his brothers. He leaves his sheep in the care of, of a trusted shepherd and obeys his father. And it's upon his arrival that David finds his calling. And as he walks up to the battle line with the food for his brothers, he hears the champion of the Philistines continue to cry out against God. Everyone heard Goliath's words with fear, but David heard Goliath's words with anger. I mean, how could Israel stand by and allow this Goliath of Gath to ridicule the living God? David won't have it. So it's time for battle. He appears outmatched and outgunned. The enemy is in front of them, filled with confidence. The army is behind them, filled with doubters. David didn't pick the fight, but he will certainly end it. It's time for God's anointed to gather the smooth stones from the brick for his sling. A giant awaits. Verse 41. Verse 41, let's start. It says this. And the Philistine moved forward, and he came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ready and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog, that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, you come with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and then all this assembly may know that the Lord, Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. And so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David, and David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And all the men of Israel... And Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharem as far as Gath to Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And so David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put his, army, or his armor in his tent. The question in your notes, why isn't it our battle? Wait, <laughs> I thought you said David went to battle. I did. I thought you said that we have battles in this life. 
I did. So why isn't this our battle? I'm glad you asked. Because here's the thing that David knows that we often forget, that in the middle of our struggles in this life, there's a greater war that is happening. There is a greater giant than Goliath of Gath. There is a greater giant than just these situations that we face. It says this in Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. David knows what we failed to see. David knows what all of Israel failed to see. David knows what King Saul failed to see, that Goliath is just a shadow of a greater enemy. A greater enemy of a greater battle that is not our own. It is a battle that belongs to the Lord alone. One of the biggest mistakes that we make when we read the Bible is to assume that we are the hero of every story. Like, we cannot read 1 Samuel 17 and just think, cool, I'm David, I am God's anointed, and everything that bad that happens in my life is Goliath. And if I just have enough faith, I can destroy all bad things, and I can conquer every giant. You and I are not the hero of this story. David is not the hero of this story. David knows that. The Lord is the hero of 1 Samuel 17 in every story. David fights by faith. We fight by faith. But this is a battle for the Lord. Why isn't it our battle? Well, David shows us. If you're a note taker, here's point one. Keep it simple. Because um, it's the Lord's army. It's the Lord's army. Am I a dog? That you come to me with sticks? Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. A taunt of the giant, he takes like one look at the youth and the handsome appearance of David and laughs. Like this, can't, this man can't be the best of the best of Israel. Is this what the great King Saul thought he could send? But listen to the haunting words of verse 45 of David. He says, you come to me with the sword and with the spear and with the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. Don't you hear what David has just declared? David is not standing alone on the battlefield. David is not unmatched. He is standing with the Lord of hosts of no surprise. The first time we hear that title is from Hannah when she prays in the temple for a child to be born to her. It's a title that David evokes from the battlefield. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, meaning the Lord that is sovereign over everything, the Lord that rules from both below and above, the Lord who rules the heavenly beings. David stands with the support of that kind of army. Herman Bavick, he, he describes the Lord of hosts like this. He says, He is the king in the fullness of his glory, who's surrounded by regimented hosts of angels. 
governs the whole world as the Almighty and in his temple receives the honor and the acclamation of all his creatures. Don't you realize God never changes? Don't you realize that the Lord of hosts who stood with David in the valley of Elah now stands with you? See, the confidence of a believer is not found in their own skill set or in their own life experiences, even though you might have them. I mean, David did. David took down bears and lions. David was skilled with the deadly sling. The confidence for the believer is found in the Lord of hosts. Meaning you and I, are, we're going to go through difficult things. We are. We're going to experience hardships and battles and challenging situations. And if you're a follower of Christ, you need to know that when you wake up in the morning to face those battles, that you're surrounded by the Lord of hosts, the heavenly army. That you don't walk into work alone. You don't walk into that next cancer treatment alone. You don't walk into a next awkward conversation with an aggressive boss or coworker alone. You don't walk into that next family issue alone. It's the kind of confidence that only the children of God can have. It's a kind of divine swagger that points not to self, but to the Lord. David stands alone in the valley, and yet he does not. We arrive in the name of the Lord of hosts, so don't dare assume that you are left alone. Lord of hosts, God of the armies of Israel, it is the Lord's army that's with us. I mean, why isn't it our battle? Let me give you point two. Well, because it's the Lord's enemy. It's his enemy. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. Happy Mother's Day. That's not what he said, at least at the end. Um, quickly, we need to understand that the Philistines are only enemies of Israel, because Israel belonged to the Lord. David understood this by the taunts of Goliath. Goliath was not only coming out against Israel, but, but Yahweh. He wasn't just taunting David, he was taunting the Lord's name. That's where the dividing line is drawn. Goliath was an enemy of the Lord. He was the Lord's enemy first and foremost. Let's be real with each other. Um, this might be news to some of us, but not everyone likes you. Like, I'm, I am a raging people pleaser, and I have had to come to grips with the truth that, you know, not everyone likes me. 
So yeah, we know Satan is the enemy. We know he is the great adversary. But the truth is, we're going to have enemies in this life. We're going to have people that don't like us. And in this growing secular culture, you're going to have people that hate you because you love Jesus and you're actually going to believe the whole truth of the Bible. We, we know the battle belongs to the Lord, and yet, like, what do we do with the present enemy? We know what David's about to do. What about us? Well, two important notes. Since the battle is the Lord's, we're called um, to love the enemy. Matthew 5, verse 43. You have heard that it, said, that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, I mean, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Well, you know what? I don't always like that. I don't always want to love my enemy. Well, then, um, maybe it's helpful to remember that you were once an enemy just like Goliath. Romans 5, verse 9. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his sons, like much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? That's who we were before Christ. Like we're, we weren't decent men and women that just happened to found Jesus. The Bible calls us enemies. All right, I get it. But I still want to fight something. Like David got to sink the stone into Goliath's forehead. I still want to fight. Good deal. Fight your own flesh. Romans 8. Starting in verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind of the flesh is death, but to set the mind of the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The battle is the Lord's. And so our gospel war cry is, love the enemy, fight your own flesh. But just know that the real enemy already belongs to the Lord that he is sovereign over the situation and the adversary, it's, it's his enemy. But why isn't it our battle? Well, simply three, because it's the Lord's victory. It's his victory. All this assembly 
may know that the Lord saves, not with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. In those words, David shows why he's the next anointed king of Israel. That he has the humbleness that Saul does not. That he has the faithfulness that Saul does not. And he gives credit where credit is due. That David will do the impossible. David will be cheered and celebrated and remembered for his feats on the battlefield. And yet David is wise enough to know that this victory is not his own. It's the Lord who saves. So the stone sank into the giant's forehead and it collapsed to the ground on his face. David runs to the enemy and drew Goliath's sword, and so talk is cheap, and the giant's head was cut off. Israel plundered the camp. David returns his armor to the tent, and yet the victory belongs to the Lord. The Lord will protect his name, just like Samuel said in chapter 12. Verse 22, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Friends, the victory belongs to the Lord because the Lord will always defend his own name. Always. Like God is not some cosmic nerd getting bullied by a giant in the classroom. He doesn't need David to stand up for him. He uses David for his own glory. The Lord will do what needs to be done to protect his own name. Every single time that the Lord is working and and moving for his name's sake, the victory belongs to the Lord because the glory belongs to the Lord. It's just not your victory. It's not. It's not my victory. It's just not David's victory. The victory will always belong to the Lord. Once um, Corey and I got married... We heard this line over and over and over again. Um, Maybe you've said it. You'll never be ready to have kids. Which I get now. Um, Now that doesn't mean you can't be prepared. You can save money. Uh, You can prep the baby room. You can get the house in order. But there's a lot of truth to the line You'll never be ready to have kids. And I can promise we weren't. Um, I mean, we weren't even prepared. We were given two weeks' notice for the twins' adoption, and then we had two premature babies in our house. In fact, they were born nine years ago today. We just weren't ready. If I'm honest, I still don't feel ready. I don't, I don't feel equipped to be a father like I know they deserve. I don't always do the things that I should do. I don't always respond like I want to. I don't always show grace like I need to. It's just this daily battle that I feel like I'm, I'm losing sometimes. And not just kids. Many of us tend to feel like that in this life. We're just trying to, to, to juggle finances and relationships and work and sports and children and grandchildren just trying to battle against stress and anxiety and even at times maybe crippling depression. It's just this daily battle that we feel like we are losing sometimes and maybe for some of us feels like that all the time. 
But let me talk to the Christians this morning, because I don't assume everyone is. We are invited into a battle that's not our own. We are invited into a battle surrounded by the Lord of hosts. We are invited into a battle of a promised victory. But we're also invited into a battle with the best armor and weapons given to God's children. So let me read most of the rest of Ephesians 6, starting in verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that the words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Belt of truth. Breastplate of righteousness, gospel of peace, peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of God's word, prayer in the spirit. We are not some unequipped losers left alone on the battlefield. Truth is, we are invited to participate in a battle for a war that's already been won. For Christ will be born from the line of David. For Christ died in our place, for Christ rose from the dead, for Christ will return again. It is his battle for a war that he's already won. And one day, the whole assembly of creation will know it. Philippians 2. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Summary point this morning is that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Christ as Lord. For King David took down the giant, but King Jesus will take down the enemy. Christ is Lord in one day, Everyone will know it. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for your text this morning, the story this morning. What a healthy reminder that this battle is not our own. It's your army. It's your enemy. It's your victory. God, and, and, and you invite us to participate in this, to bring your, your name glory. But God, what a promise to the saints. What a promise to brothers and sisters in Christ to, partici to participate in a battle that's already been won. God, and as we have read, I, I pray that we would take up the armor of God. That there is work to do. God, it, it takes a lot of work to love people that hate us. 
It takes a lot of work to fight our own flesh. And yet we are not left alone in that. And so I'm thankful for the truth of your word. I'm thankful for the picture of the gospel that King Jesus has come to kill the greatest enemy. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.